This is Game Theory, a podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. Today, we begin our new series, The Con Man Index, where we examine and rank the most infamous con artists of our generation, and we begin with the Firefest mastermind, Billy McFarlane. Player three in this episode, we want to hear from you. We want to know how you'd rank Billy as a fraudster. You can vote in the poll and participate in the conversation on Spotify or on Facebook. The links are in the show notes. Let's do it. You may have seen the documentaries, one on Hulu, one on Netflix. The fraud committed by Billy McFarlane and his co-conspirators resulted in quite a story. In April 2017, a few hundred social media influencers joined a few thousand wealthy patrons in the Caribbean for an exclusive luxury music festival called the Fire Festival. When they arrived, they were greeted by a disaster. The festival had lied about accommodations. Instead of luxurious villas, they were to stay in a hodgepodge village of disaster tents, the kind used after hurricanes and refugee migrations. The food was closer to what you'd get at summer camp when you were eight years old than the Michelin star-level cuisine that was hinted at in the promotional material. Billy McFarlane, a so-called entrepreneur, had founded the festival in an effort to monetize the millennial phenomenon known as FOMO, or the fear of missing out. But in doing so, he failed. And he defrauded investors, influencers, patrons, and others. So, let's examine his case. Welcome to episode 29 of Game Theory, your podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making. And for the first time ever, true crime, Chris. We're going to tackle true crime. We're going to stay in our lane, though, and we're going to make it a strategic true crime, which is... True. Well, is there another kind of true crime, really, when you get down to it? Crimes of passion. Let me teach you about this channel on TV called in- Investigation Discovery. Um, on this channel, they just do what South Park has adequately dubbed murder porn where it's just spouses who kill each other i thought there was already a genre called murder porn oh i mean is that just like a thing (laughs) yeah south park i think is the people that came up with it and it's just this idea that adults who want to unwind at the end of the day want to watch shows about murder and that i in, in in a really damning piece of evidence that our father is really just randy marsh when dad learned about investigation discovery he lost an entire day well, that's because he used to go on the road a lot, traveling for mm-hmm. his jobs, going to different mine sites and stuff like that, and staying at night in the hotel rooms where there's only crappy cable. His favorite thing used to be those like murder mystery, like cold case files, right. all about cold yep. case files. And what's the number one lesson they always take from cold case files? It was your spouse. It was your spouse. Specifically, nine times out of ten, it's your wife. Yeah, nine times out of ten. Your wife is going to kill you. I, I saw a TikTok that went viral I don't know, like a month ago. And it was the best. I One of my favorite genres of video on YouTube. I'm not a hardcore YouTuber like you in, in your life. You're a great YouTuber. I like shorter clips. One of my favorite genres is Best Man and a Maid of Honor speeches. I just like them. They're funny. It's good stand-up comedy. It's good wholesome content. The best clip of all time is this Maid of Honor who's a sister. And she said, okay, look deeply into each other's eyes. Just do it, please. Please just do it. Okay. The person looking back at you is the one statistically most likely to kill you. 
<laughs> just crushed it. It was awesome. It was awesome. Incredible. Speaking of having to look and, and say something, uh, damn it, Chris, I need to apologize for incorrectly saying that the northernmost port of Ca- point of California was uh, higher than the southernmost point of Canada, which is almost true, but it is not quite true. The point still stands that plenty of Canadians live far further south than they like to admit, and I know that it snows a lot in Toronto, but it snows even more in Upper Michigan. So I that's right. Here on the show, we value intellectual humility and honesty. And uh, Nick was wrong. No, I was wrong. I I don't know if I've been wrong yet, but uh, if I am someday, I'll do <laughs> I am just so. as sincere an apology about the whole California Canada. Who among us hasn't thought that? California was somehow north of Canada. You know what, Chris? Really. Canada is just North California. California is just West Canada, and Texas is just South Canada. I mean, they're the same places. All those places are the same. I've been saying it for years. Yep. I mean, Canada is my favorite state. Oh, Canadians get so mad when I say that. Boom. It's such a nice. Roasted. It's such well, a nice way Canada to and Quebec is my favorite fifty-second state. Ah, oh, nice. I love that. Yes. Well, I mean, that's not how they would pronounce it. A little well, I don't there. care how they would pronounce yeah. it. <laughs> so if you're watching the show, you can watch it on Spotify. Sometimes we do it on Spotify. Sometimes we don't. But you can watch every episode in its entirety in YouTube. And I, Chris, I actually have an announcement. Beginning with this episode, the episodes will be on YouTube at least a day earlier than they will be available for audio. And that is, is that to incentivize us to go to YouTube? Yes. Would we make more money theoretically on YouTube? Yes. Do I want to quit my job so I can do this full time? 100%. So you can watch the episode on YouTube before it's available in audio format. So I got that's so, us. So here's what we need you to do, player three. In order to make this dream a reality, we don't make any money on this right now, no. but for a small donation, a one-time investment for yourself of $14,000 directly to us, and you just recruit five other listeners and have them recruit five listeners and have them recruit five listeners, then Nick and I can achieve our dreams and you can have more content. Right. That's all it takes, really. If you want to be a low-level contributor, like a bronze-level contributor, (laughs) you can make all your friends and family listen and bring it up at parties and social events that are completely out of character. But if you want to be a gold-level member of Player 3, you will give us money and not ask what we do with it. That, that's really the most sincere form of flattery right. is cash. And Chris, what you just did is what's called in the biz a segue. And that brings us to our topic today, which is uh, I, something that I've wanted to do for a while. I have been obsessed with these true crime documentaries on Netflix and Hulu and HBO about fraud and these sociopath people who are able to hoodwink and just destroy people's lives for various reasons. I have it started coming up with an internal ranking list of who's the worst one, who's the smartest one, who's the dumbest one, who's the most lucky one. So I thought, you know what? Let's just do it on the show. Let's just get player three involved and start ranking these people by terms of intelligence, by terms of like nefarious, like who's the most uh, demonic of these people and which ones got the, the, did the like the craziest shit. And today we're going to start with the most popular one, the one that frankly kind of broke the internet when this documentary came out. And that's Billy McFarlane, the mastermind behind Firefest. So if you haven't seen the documentaries, there are two, and this is important, and we'll talk about that later. There's one on Netflix, and there's one on Hulu. Chris, have you seen the documentaries? I have seen the Netflix documentary, so right. I'm not in a position to say which one I like better. I'm watching the, the Hulu documentary tonight. I will say I was very angry after I watched the Netflix documentary, really? which I guess is the point. Like, If you're going to make a documentary, you're trying to make an argument, but I just I could not believe the lengths that this piece of crap went to and the people around him like just kept enabling him yes the entire time to just take advantage of a bunch of people and steal a bunch of money and just lie directly out of his sphincter and <laughs> just pull the wool over everybody's eyes I, I i couldn't 
couldn't believe right. what I was seeing. So there, there are two documentaries, and there's Wikipedia, and there will be links in the show notes, and you can learn about the story. But the gist of the story is this. If you're unaware, this guy who calls himself an entrepreneur, and he had a lot of entrepreneurial ideas. All of them were bullshit. But just like many of the people on these lists, what he wanted to happen was a good idea, but he just made it look like he could do it, but he couldn't. This is what he did. He wanted to be... Uh, an entrepreneur in New York City. So he created this idea of a fire, right? The fire company. On one hand, there would be an app that would match influencers with brands, which is brilliant. That is a brilliant idea. On the other side, he'd be like, we're just going to have this insane music festival in the Bahamas. We're going to pull it off. Everyone's going to go there. All the hot people will be there. We'll just make everybody want to be there and we'll get all of this cash flow. What he was able to do was pitch these ideas, which are objectively good. He pitched them to people with money, but while they gave him money, he made it look like he was taking steps to make these happen, but he wasn't. He was just bullshitting and getting more money. So then the festival happens in the Bahamas and it is an unmitigated disaster and frankly, a crime. It's a crime because they told people what it would be. None of that was done. They just stole like web renderings and made it look like these were the accommodations and this is what was going to happen. They literally like copied and pasted and took screenshots and were like, yeah, you're going to stay at these things. Like, no, those don't exist. And so all these famous people, and this is the part of this that's funny, and it's a little funny, that all of these influencers just bought into this hook, line, and sinker. And for, for those of you that don't know, an influencer is someone with a minimum of, say, 30,000 followers on a various uh, a specific social media platform. And what the reason they're called influencers is because they can influence people to make decisions, and therefore, theoretically, they are an advertising company in and of themselves. So yeah, this, so compare that to us. Theoretically, yes. we... Are, I, I hope we're not influencers on anybody. Yeah. I, I hope that yeah. people are able to protect themselves from us using their brains. And we don't have nearly a big enough following. No. Compare that with like, uh, t- uh, what, what was the tequila lady on MySpace? The original oh, influencer? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, I know what you're talking Is about. Tequila Tequila? Yeah, Tequila Tequila. She was just in the news for faking her sexuality. Oh, yeah. Well, so she's a froster too. There are, uh, it's, it's a double-edged sword, yeah. being oh. a celebrity influencer. Yes, that, that's true. That's what happened here. So all these influencers that get rounded up, they go to the Bahamas. And then they're like, what the shit is this? And they, it's a whole thing. They have to get off the island. This went viral when somebody tweeted out a picture of what the food was like. And it was like a piece of bread with cheese and some lettuce from a store. And it was objectively hilarious because at the time when this broke in 2017, three years before the documentary came out, when this broke, everyone's reaction was stupid rich people and influencers serves you right. Well, those influencers are also rich. And so everybody sued and they're going to win. And Billy McFarlane went to prison. So that's the gist of what Fire Festival was. It was essentially like billed as a great music festival. Turns out it was bullshit, but people bought into it. And then they sued the guy who was faking it. That's the gist of the story. I don't think I missed anything. Now we're going to get into the details of the fun true crime part of this. Yeah, well, one thing I will add is that because this festival was supposed to take place in the Bahamas, it was supposed to take place on, originally they wanted it to be on like Pablo Escobar's private island, but people got very angry, like the estate's lawyers got very angry when they mentioned Pablo Escobar and a bunch of the advertising materials. So they had to like move to, they tried to get it onto the island of, uh, of Great Exuma. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the problems with the festival was that there was zero infrastructure of any kind. And they were billing for like a week long. People can like stay in these nice beachfront villas and rent these houses and all kinds of stuff. And none of that existed. 
it just it, it physically wasn't there. There was nothing there for them for people to do and, and nowhere to stay and nowhere to eat and all the stuff. And so what ended up happening was the people who were running Fire Festival, spearheaded by Billy McFarland, were scrambling, trying to literally build a small encampment for mm-hmm. people to attend this festival. And they really exploited the hell out of local yes. workers. And the the real crime, I think, was that Billy McFarland promised all of these people a bunch of money, like labor costs, mm-hmm. like for doing their job, and just simply didn't pay yes. and defrauded people of, of tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, millions and millions of dollars. So there are three crimes. Let's, let's get into the, the bullshit of this. Crime number one is that Billy McFarland created uh, essentially a Ponzi scheme business that was on the side of the festival part. That was the fire app, right? So that's crime number one is he's ripping off investors. Crime number two is the one that you did, you missed from not watching the Hulu documentary. And it's why the Hulu documentary is so important. Crime number two is Jerry media knowingly promoting something that they are alleged to have 100% known was bullshit and just made because they did get paid by Billy. And then crime number three was all the people on Great Exuma that got ripped off. So let's just break down the documentary thing so I can explain this to you and anybody else why it's important to watch both of them if you're really interested in the story. The Netflix documentary is objectively better. It's better produced. It's got better cinematography. The music is better. And what's interesting about it, as a journalist myself, it is remarkably difficult to get anybody with the term chief in their title on camera in a documentary like this. They are smart enough not to do that. Jerry had multiple senior level leaderships, senior level executives in the documentary. And what they said, Chris, they looked into the camera and they said things like, we never knew, which is really great public defense. Who's, who's that guy? uh, Who's the guy with the really deep voice? Who's like, it looked like the whole time, like he was just doing everything he could not to shrug and throw his hands up as if he was like some hapless victim. And he was like kind of a, kind of a sympathetic figure. He was like, unfortunately, we had no idea yes. yep. that any of this was going astray. And it was just a really, like, he seemed phony, but in a way that, like, Billy McFarland seemed like an incompetent phony that yes. managed to get people to listen to him for a while. Uh, but the Jerry guy seemed like a phony who was very practiced at it and, like, very skilled in the the kind, like, he wa- he's what Billy McFarland wanted to be. Correct. But... Uh, Billy had too much of an ego to get in the way. And, and that guy was thinking like, you know, in terms of my defense, what's going to make me look best. Right. So, well, fun fact, uh, Jerry media, I believe as either the first or second, uh, highest contributing financial producer of the documentary that was on Netflix. That's their oh. documentary. Ah, okay. Ah, so please. basically I'm watching their approved version of the story by watching the Netflix. Not movie. only that, say Chris, if you wanted to deflect people from blame, what emotion would you invoke and who would be the easiest uh, uh, victims to invoke that emotion? Anger. Yeah. And, I and, want to make people and, very angry. And, uh-huh. and I want people to sit back and experience disbelief at what they're seeing. Right. So <laughs> they make this documentary and then they post on Jerry. Jerry Media has somewhere between 14 and 20 million followers on Twitter and Instagram. It's, it's memes and they're big trouble and they're, they've caused legislation for stealing people's content. Now, when this documentary came out, they posted a picture of the woman who was running the, the I think she was a food service business and uh, they posted a picture yeah. of her and they started a, a charitable fund and everyone was like, yeah, that's really great. Well, then you watch the Hulu documentary like, hey, maybe you should fucking pay her. Guys, 
because they had the, the guy who, who, who we'll get into the campaign in a second, but the guy who invented the campaign, the break the internet campaign, which is how this was marketed. That guy was on the Hulu documentary and he was like, no, they did all of this. I was in the meetings. I knew all of this stuff. And he's a witness against Jerry. So Jerry's got this documentary, which is PR for getting out of the fire festival. But between the two documentaries, it paints a great picture because Jerry, the Hulu documentary does not focus on the people in Great Exuma who were ripped off. And that's the real, you are right. That is the people who are genuine happenstance victims. That, that what happened to them is bullshit. Wow. Well, I, I guess the best way to fight a documentary is with a documentary. Right. Or you could say, fight fire with fire. Whoa, whoa. Thank you. A little bit of golf clap there for an early spring morning. Okay, so we'll continue the story with the, uh, the, the last crime, which is the Ponzi scheme. And the reason I think this is interesting is because as I go through all of these fraudsters, and we're going to get into some of them, the famous documentaries like Murder Among the Mormons, uh, Bad Vegan is like this, uh, The Tinder Swindler was like this. These people are geniuses out of a couple things, but they can't do anything financially other than a Ponzi scheme. And for those, hey, Chris, what's a Ponzi scheme? Just explain it for the people. Yeah, so... So to get the official definition of what a Ponzi scheme is, I went to the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission website, Investor.gov. Nerd. And according to that site. Fucking nerd. A Ponzi scheme is an investment fraud that pays existing investors with funds collected from new investors. Ponzi schemes are named after Charles Ponzi. In the 1920s, Ponzi promised investors a 50% return within a few months for what he claimed was an investment in international mail coupons. Uh, Ponzi scheme organizers promise like really high returns, like for a nominal fee now, for little or no risk, all you have to do is pay this one-time fee, and you, I promise you'll get your money back. Uh, if you've heard of like the prosperity gospel that's been going around mm. in uh, in like critical media, like uh, like John Oliver did a big thing about these like televangelist churches, and there's been all kinds of exposés on on these people who will ask like, okay, well, if you if you donate all this money now, then that money will be returned to you tenfold, sevenfold in years to come, or whatever. That that's the basic structure of a Ponzi scheme getting new people to give you money with the promise that they will get more money somehow on the back end. And, and of course, all it is is just a way for people who are already on the inside to convince people on the outside that it's better to be on the inside and the ticket through the door is cash in hand. Yeah, and so and there have been some very famous examples, one of which, of course, is Bernie Madoff, and he was able to, to hide his Ponzi scheme by making it look like it was private equity, like it was an investment firm. And to invest in an investment firm, you got to give him money, and then you can return people. Ponzi schemes fall apart eventually because if anybody at any point in time with the investment asks for the money back, it simply doesn't exist. It was never there because it's giving out to the older people. It's a cycle, right? It's, it's, a, it's a paradox, but it's, it's, it's real. Now, these fraudsters <clears throat> like Billy McFarlane, that's all they can think about. So when you're asking yourself, how the fuck did Billy McFarlane hoodwink people into investing? Two ways. One, great salesman. He had great ideas and he was very charismatic. Great on TV. People are just good at that. Some people are great at it. Number two was a Ponzi scheme. What he would do was sell tickets to things at a rate that made it look like they were exclusive tickets and he would charge for them and he would pay for his ventures by he would get money from people to get tickets to things like the Met Gala, right? And then he would buy the tickets himself to the Met Gala, give them to that person and take their money. So he would charge it to the credit card, get the cash from these people, and then he would sell more tickets in the future for things that didn't exist. Now, if you watch the Hulu documentary, you learn you can't go to the Met Gala. 
Billy didn't know that. You can't just go. Like, there are no tickets. You can't, you can't, you don't buy them. But he was able, through this ticket fraud thing, was able to kind of fund operations day to day. And that's when you watch on Netflix and Hulu, they were paying people in like bags of cash. It's because it was a Ponzi scheme. He was simply asking people for money. Now, all of these fraudsters, they have this in common. And it's really kind of strange how brilliant they can be. Um, and that, that's how he ripped off investors. Because when you watch the documentary on Netflix, like how this asshole from New Jersey, it looks like a moron. And who is buying into this? Yeah, it, it, it's pretty remarkable because all the stuff that this guy did really boils down to convincing people that it's fun to have fun experiences. Yeah. And this, like the Fire Festival is really emblematic of what he was all about, which is to say status, image, fun times, once in a lifetime, exclusive, all access, VIP, luxury, just fun, fun, fun. Like all the things that old people think about when they hear the term millennial, Mm-hmm. and want to complain about it like the complaining i'm talking about complainer old people i'm not Oof. talking about like uh. wise reasonable citizens I'm, I'm talking about like people who just want to bitch about the youths everything they think about when they hear the term millennial applies to this guy's vision for what fire festival was going to be for what his career was going to be for what all of his various business ventures were and it, it that's reflected in the promises that he made to people right like he was promising things that just they literally didn't exist and yes. he was promising things that were not possible, like getting into the Met Gala. After he uh, was out on bond, after he was, or after he was out on bond bail, I don't know which one. Yeah, whatever. After he was released from jail, uh, after following his initial arrest for fraud for Firefest, he basically started a company from the shadows, uh, according to the documentary, and was promising stuff like exclusive interviews with Taylor Swift for right. VIP access through this NYC VIP access company. Um, Taylor Swift doesn't do exclusive guest meet and greets. No. Just doesn't do that. Uh, so like, he was literally promising things that could never come to fruition. And I guess because people wanted it to be true or because he was so convincing or his branding, like the branding is really remarkable. Like the packaging that yeah. all these promises came in was so flashy that, I, I mean, I guess he succeeded in getting people to believe that he was legit. Yeah. And I, I can't, I genuinely to this day can't tell whether what Billy McFarland said was stuff that he knew to be false and yes. just t- decided to lie about it or whether it's stuff that he actually believed and he's just an idiot yeah. and like genuinely thought this kind of thing could be true. Or is it like, he's like, I'm manifesting things that I would want and I'm also giving people the chance to pay me money to see if my manifestation works. Yes. So it's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. And this is a great segue to, because I, I, I do want to create this index and in ranking these fraudsters and these, these uh, sociopaths because I, I, comparing them is really fascinating to me. And there's Chuck Klosterman's book, I Wear the Black Hat, which is the only Chuck Klosterman book I, I've read. It gets into our relationship with the bad guys, the, the, the bank robbers and Hitler. And like he just examines that. And his conclusion, his thesis, I suppose, if you look at the book like an essay, is that the most evil people are the people who know the most but care the least. And if you think if you think about that as a, as a way to guide this, it's it's a good good way to classify two kinds of fraudsters. There are two. And it's exactly like Chuck said. One group of people who are 100% certain it's bullshit and using that. And then there are another group, which is really... And Elizabeth Holmes, who we're going to do an episode about, she falls into this group. And in this group is that they want their thing to be real but it just isn't. 
and she, Elizabeth Holmes is uh, with uh, with Theranos is like that, but Billy McFarlane is like that. I don't think he knowingly ripped people off. I think he genuinely had good ideas, and he made it look like he could do things. And then he got drunk and he got high and he partied. He wanted to be the CEO. He just simply never executed them. And I think that in a weird way, one is not worse than the other because what Elizabeth Holmes did and what Billy McFarlane did was kind of surround themselves with people who really also believed in the dream. And those people were handicapped by Billy because what he wanted to do, he was monetizing FOMO, which is what he did in millennial culture is fucking brilliant. That is objectively smart. He's making money. The idea is to make money from luxury people who are not influencers, but want to feel like influencers. So if you can afford a $100,000 concert ticket like Coachella, so you can hang out next to someone with a million followers, that's smart. But he made it look like it was something that it wasn't. He was, he was kind of trying to fake it till you make it. Yeah, and, and I think that's reflected in the way that you know he reportedly behaved when all this stuff was starting to like when it was becoming impossible to deny what was happening. Allegedly, he would just continue to deny that the festival was a, an absolute unmitigated disaster. He would just continue to say things like, "This is a solutions-oriented group." Like, like, like the, the, I find there's like a high correlation in the feeling of being bullshitted and the frequency with which someone refers to solutions. Like, if someone <laughs> yeah. says, "Like, oh yeah, I work in solutions," yeah, like, that's fucking funny. Do you that's mean like like liquid mixtures, or are you about <laughs> to like rob the shit out of me right now? Oh, that's good. And, and I, apparently he just said that all the way to the end and I think got after enough people even. in deep enough that they had to continue with what they were doing right. until they could like find a, a safe point to cut their losses. And, and, I, and I, I tend to think, you know, he, he probably suffered from a case of uh, the sunk cost fallacy where sure. he thinks he's in so deep, he's in so deep. And by the time he realizes his manifestation is not going to come to reality, he, like he's already bought into believing. And so if he decides to like quit and try to cut his losses at that point, he's already taken on too much of a loss. And so he has to like try to find a creative way to get out of it. But sometimes there is no way out. And what, one of the things that really got me was, uh, it was somebody in the documentary who had been to jail was describing his experience and, and he described the phenomenon of like, well, you know, when you get to jail at first, it's like 23, one, you spend 23 hours in your cell and you get one hour outside a day. And he said that was just so far outside of like Billy McFarlane's worldview, like the, the lens through which he sees the world just does not have space for that. Mm -hmm. And the cognitive dissonance that that created just made it. So he's like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to go to jail. Like it seemed impossible to him because he just couldn't fit it into his vision of this like millennial monetized FOMO uh, experience, 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 exclusive world. Yeah, and I think this. What's really interesting is that he was, he's had brilliant ideas forever. I mean, the documentary. I think the Hulu documentary goes. I think the Hulu documentary is a little bit more about him and like the company. But the, he won entrepreneurial contests. He was very and like he has objectively good ideas, and he always has. He's a great pitch man. The problem is, like you said, is like he just sees something that isn't true. And it reminds me a lot of, it reminds me an awful lot of Elizabeth Holmes. When I watched the Firefest documentary, I was like, this is exactly what she did. Her thing was much worse because it fucks with people's lives and like can literally lead to death and disease and awful and much, much, much more money is what, what she did. But with Billy, he, and like the, the jail thing was interesting too. And he got out of jail and started running the Ponzi scheme again. Like he literally, it was like a, his brain was broken. 
that he had believed his own lie so much. And we, our dad says this all the time, quote Seinfeld, it's not a lie if you believe it. Yeah, but if you start believing something that is objectively incorrect, like you become basically not a human. Well, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I would go that far, but you become somebody without a conscience. You become somebody who's out yeah. of touch with reality. And yes. like, that, that's like the basis of all conspiracy thinking, too, is, is the reason people fall into these traps is because they, they come up with these, like, these mental frameworks, these like structures in their mind that like, man, if this were true, it'd be so awesome. Or like, right. man, if this were, if, if, if this were the way things worked, it would make so much sense or it would be so powerful or so meaningful. And I think that adds meaning to people's lives when they're really bored. Yeah. And well, I don't know if, I, I don't know if it's because Billy himself is a guy who was, you know, who, who experiences a lot of FOMO or, or if he was just trying to capitalize and make a buck or what, but really trying to capture the zeitgeist of this like entire, uh, this, this entire generation, like based purely on stereotypes. I, I, I mean, to me, that suggests that he's got like the same kind of wiring as somebody who is willing to believe that like reptilians have taken over and they're trying to like implant microchips through vaccines. Yeah. I agree. Like that, that kind of, that kind of cognitive, framework is just so out of touch but it makes sense to the person who's living in it it does and like that it, it, i think a great example of this was with our, our 45th president suggesting that putting bleach in your body would you know get rid of disease which like we know don't ever do that that's completely stupid and it can kill you but if you're like thinking about it like that makes sense like well we tested it it doesn't work it can never work stop it but well if you it, don't it, know it, to me I, I i think that I think what you're saying is also reflected in like in April. You remember in April 2020? Yeah. He was saying stuff like, oh, it'll be gone by Easter. It'll be an Easter miracle. Yeah. I really think he believed that because he's an idiot and is dumb enough to believe that kind of thing. Right. And like he genuinely wanted it to be true because like, man, if that were true, wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't it show how like justified I am? Wouldn't right. it show how right my political base is? Wouldn't it give me so much credit? Wouldn't it make me look awesome for predicting this thing that's like miraculous and so many people believe in? And I think the like the sheer awesome like like the joy of how great it would be if that were true is enough to like tip his brain over the edge into thinking, okay, now this is actually true. Yeah, like I've decided this is so good that yep. it can't be any other way. And so, oh, yep. This whole virus is going to be gone by Easter to be an Easter miracle. Obviously, deeply out of touch with any sort of reality, uh, and anybody would have to be to believe that kind of thing. But you know, that's what happens when you get your heart set on a dream that is that feels really, really good, and uh, you want to buy into, and you have a sunk cost because you're unwilling to accept the losses and like face the real hard, boring, unsexy, unappealing reality. Yeah, and like I think that's part of it too. Like we grew up in this 21st century where like anything is possible and you can be connected with anybody. It's the same thing with Billy McFarlane. Like, you know what we should do? We should put a music festival in the Bahamas. Like, yes, that sounds sick. And you make a ton of money. It's just Coachella, but in the Bahamas, but we make it even more exclusive with hot people. Like, yes, hot, great idea. This is brilliant. Okay, let's be this this year. Like, uh, no, maybe one day. If you take your time, you should be able to pull this off 100%. And they were able to book mm, yeah, But I don't guests. want to wait. I want to do yeah. it right now. I want to do it right now. Let's just, just do it. Let's just do it. Because he wasn't selling a festival. He was selling FOMO, which is exactly you know what the, what the president was selling with um, a little bit of COVID delusion, just like wishing it gone. You're like, oh, we'll figure it out. We, we figure everything out. Everything will be fine. Like, yeah, maybe not this time. It's going to be a little different because it's just... It, 
it's all, it's like in, it, just like everything. The office applies to this situation. Like when uh, when Holly has to move back up to Nashua, mm. and Michael and Holly and Daryl drive back up there, and they get halfway, and Michael says, "Okay, stop, pull over. I want to look for like a bed and breakfast, like halfway that we can meet here." Yes, and they pull off, and they're just like in the wilderness, and he says, "I don't know. I just imagine like a little bed and breakfast here." Like a nice pool and really good bacon. And there's there's obviously nothing there. But he just like thought it would be there. And so they went to look for it and it wasn't. And like like that's that's I mean, that's not a conspiracy, but like that's the, the that's the innocent cousin of conspiracy thinking or delusional uh delusional I don't know, just delusion, I guess. Yeah, it it, it it's I think that the word you're looking for is delusional optimism. Delusional optimism. That is the word I was looking for, yes. Yeah, because he really wanted that to be true. And, like, this is what it would be really great in the office, of course, incredibly poignant and brilliant. Some of the best literature that's come out of our lifetimes. It's unbelievable how poignant that show is. But that that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what happened here with Billy. And the thing that makes this really interesting from our perspective and our moment in history is the, the relationship with, with social media influence there was enough infrastructure around the festival to make it look super legit. But if you start looking a little deeper, you're like, there's no proof. Now, the reason that this went so viral when it happened and why it's so fascinating now and why, and also why Jerry Media is brilliant, by victimizing the people in the Bahamas, they put a real victim behind it because nobody feels bad for the, the influencers and the rich people who were hoodwinked. And I, to be frank with you, I have a weird, this is the ethical conundrum of game theory. Like, I... I don't feel bad. I know that they are legally victims. Yes. I don't feel bad for the rich people and the influencers who bought tickets and went to this. I just don't. Because I, I like to think that I'm, I'm t- maybe, I would, maybe I would have been hoodwinked too. But I watched this thing. I, 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 first thing I, I look at is Google Street View. And the, you look at the tickets. Like, Are there any actual pictures? Is this person whatever? And anybody who's online dated, especially if you're a man, like that hot girl is probably a bot or a sex worker. They don't want to talk to you. So like, where's your where's your sense of suspicion with this? And now I, I just don't feel bad for the, for the people who got ripped off the 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 influencers and the um, FOMO people who bought tickets to this and thought that this was a real thing. I just don't. Yeah, I think one of the reasons people get this kind of gleeful reaction of like, "Ha, serves you right," is that people feel good when people buy into stuff that has no substance and have to pay for it mm-hmm. in the end. Like, it, it, people don't like to see other people rewarded for horseshit or doing the wrong thing, or having just, like, by virtue of having more money, you get to live a better life. Like, people hate that. Like, that's how the world works. Right. But people really hate that. And so when there's any sort of comeuppance, I think there's, like, there, there's at best a lack of sympathy. And, and I and I share that. I, I don't feel bad for these people. I mean, yeah. it, it, that's not stuff that I'm interested in in the first place. Like, that kind of experience is, actually does not seem very appealing to me, even no. even if all that stuff went really well. True. Uh, that's just not the sort of thing that I personally am, am into. But even when it's it's even even worse when it's all just packaging, it's all just branding. Like the the big viral marketing campaign was they had a bunch of these like Instagram famous people, which by the way, there's a, this SNL skit. Uh, I, f- I forget uh, what it's like. Uh, it's called "You Can Do Anything," uh-huh. and uh, the one of the people that comes on this like talk show is like, "Oh yeah, this is so and so. You're internet famous. What does that mean? Uh, not famous." <laughs> Yeah, that, I mean Jason that's Vegas, it's great, but but yeah, the, the viral marketing campaign was just all of these internet famous people tweeting out this burnt orange picture, and 
not really answering any questions, just like making vague references to like they hashtag all the right stuff, but they don't explain like on this date, this will happen. And like slowly information leaks out through this like fancy, like Squarespace looking kind of website. And it's all just packaging. There is no actual substance behind the glossy, fancy exterior. And once people opened the package, they realized there's nothing there. Uh, everybody on the outside who couldn't afford that kind of thing, wasn't interested in that kind of thing, uh, got to got to laugh and feel good about other people's uh, suffering and loss. Yeah, and I think that the... Uh, I, how do I say this? I, I don't take pleasure in their suffering and loss, but I also don't feel bad because you're right. Like they, p- People saw this and if they could afford to do it, so the people that were kind of told to go there by their brand managers and stuff or, or were paid to go there... I feel the least those people I am laughing my ass off because like you got paid to go there and now you only feel bad for you. Fucking no chance. Absolutely not. You yeah, got paid no, and like, Oh, you're the plane. I was stuck in the plane for 24 hours. Like, I don't care, dude. Like you got money. I do not. Like, care. Like, you think I haven't had bad travel experiences too? Yeah, exactly. I, I, no, I got, no, I'm, I'm absolutely not going to feel bad about that. In fact, I'm, I'm going to feel pretty good about that. Somebody got paid to go down there just by virtue of existing on the internet. Like, correct. Okay. No. Nope. Yeah. No, I don't next. care. I don't care. But now it's like it's 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 something where you can see if if millennials got ripped off and they want it to be true so badly that they pay for it. A, I feel bad for our generation that that's like the level that we're at. But also that makes me think that some people who don't know the Internet well enough to because that would absolutely that kind of effort would hoodwink people in their 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s. One hundred percent. It does. It does all the time. I mean, yeah. you ever watch Dr. Phil? Yeah, absolutely. all these people that get hoodwinked into thinking that like they're they've fallen in love with someone on the internet they've they've never like seen or met, but that they feel they need to get to this country so badly that they're willing to send tens, hundreds, thousands of dollars, millions of dollars in some cases. It, like it's it, it's exactly the kind of thing that people fall for, and and yeah. So when people are victimized like that, yeah, of course you, you feel bad, but then like it's it should serve as like a cautionary tale like yes. be more suspicious of this expect more of the situation demand more substance and less gloss less veneer like don't it and and i almost think it's less a matter of trust and more latter matter of like a lack of curiosity like yeah things that sound too good to be true almost always are almost and always yeah you should never count on the almost saving you from making a really really bad silly generation changing mistake yeah and like that's the the victims of this and we'll get into um you know this with i'd like to keep this series going for a number of years i think maybe one or two a year would be fine but uh there are people who are the sociopaths who find people who have that like missing piece in their their soul and they just like crunch that with billy i think he just was fishing with a net he was like everybody that has fomo who isn't famous or hot but has enough money to feel hot i can make you be a kardashian for a day and like that's that's a that's an objectively good business model. It was just the fraudulent garbage that got him caught. So like he's close. So this is what I want to do. Four categories. Aggregate score of forty is maximum for like the number one fraudster. Okay, we're gonna rank on how lucky they were, how smart they are, how evil they are, and how successful they were at doing their thing. Okay, so let's start. Let's start with successful. Billy wanted to monetize FOMO, and. Be an influencer in New York. I'm going to give him a nine. I, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to counter with a seven. Seven. And okay. just a brief bit of discussion. He is currently incarcerated. True. So 
it's difficult to uh, say it was a, a long-term success. He sure. got people to bite, but he wasn't able to like reel in the fish. So his his for his marketing, for his salesmanship, for his pure bullshittery, uh, definitely a nine. But because he ended up getting caught and ended up paying for it at the end, I have to go with a seven. So we'll give him uh, an eight then. Perfect. Give him an eight. Because and the reason this is great is because I will you know stay tuned when he gets out of prison. He's going to have plenty of opportunities. He's just too famous. <laughs> Yes, he is. And he's going to be able to make money. I mean, as long as people can use the internet to make money based purely on name recognition and no value or substance or any kind of meaningful like value add to any situation, this man is going to have a chance to be successful when he gets out of prison. 100%. Okay. Index number two, evil index. I'm going with the one. I think he's just, I think all of this was well-intentioned. I don't think he knowingly ripped off anyone. I think he's just delusional. I think he's a little more evil than that. Uh, so he had to lie to himself. True. And there, there was a point uh, during the course of the documentary that explained that he would like, go out and just like ride his four wheeler in frustration, like speed off. Like that's true. They, like I see people do on the street here. Like when you get mad and people like zip around and whatever. Yeah. They, like, and there's some creepy sex that. stuff too. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna amend. I'm gonna go four. Go four. Okay. I I I I, I can agree to a four. Yeah. He four. was because he was stupid, but. He also continued to be stupid on purpose. And to me, that is a problem. So four. Four. Okay. Uh, luck. How lucky was he? I'm going to go oh. with like a nine. Nine. Easily a nine. Because he was able to get in with all these people who like, who believed in him. And, and I don't know if that's because like, like he was, he was tight with Ja Rule. Uh, he founded Fire Festival with Ja Rule, who is like a famous oh, yeah. performer or whatever. Yeah. And by the way, listening to what he said in the documentary, he was insist like in the in the aftermath, like the disaster. He was like, "No, we got to spin this for ourselves, and we we can't dwell on the past and all this shit." Like, if somebody ever tells you, "Don't dwell on the past when it's time for them to be held accountable," like immediately write this person. Like, you do not need to respect this person. You don't need to like this person. You don't need to like do anything for this person because they just want to avoid accountability. Right. Jerul was like that. Yes. And for somebody who's that famous and powerful, and he's like actually famous, not like internet famous. With like actual income and stuff, yeah. Yeah, so for him to like be hoodwinked by Billy, uh, that's a lot of luck. You got to be mm -hmm. really lucky to be able to do true, that. Uh, true, I, 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 I'm, I'm agreeing with you on the nine. Nine, okay, so we've got an eight, a four, a nine. Now this is the, this is the most debatable one. How smart was he? Man, that is really debatable. Because, I think it's like, right we, in the we, middle. I, I've been accusing him of being an idiot for the entire show. <laughs> yeah, I, I stand by that. But he also was able to to capture an idea. Like he was able to monetize FOMO. And he was smart enough to go get Jerry, who's the best in the world at this. He was smart enough to to get Ja Rule. He got investment from that Aubrey guy, the the guy that like killed himself by suicide and driving his car into the wall, the 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 oil the the oil oil billionaire guy. Yeah, Aubrey uh Auburn, I forget his name. He was an investor. He hoodwinked Aubrey investors. Auburn. Yeah. It was something like that. It was Auburn or Aubrey yeah, he was an oil tycoon who died in a crash going like 80 miles an hour, like a 30-mile-an-hour zone. It was like a suicide because he had been hoodwinking hit investors himself. Anyway, that's a whole thing. But I think because he was able to pull all of that off, like he, he had smart ideas. He was pretty close to executing them. He hired great people. That's why this got so close because everybody that he hired worked out incredibly well. All of the marketers were good. All of the people that were working on the app were good. Tech people, it was really good. But he wouldn't like, understand that you can't just go into the Bahamas. If they say you can't use the name in the marketing, you can't use the name in the marketing. So I, I kind of think he was so smart and so stupid, which averages to a five. I, I, I would say a five because when it comes to marketing, messaging, image, crafting an idea, 
packaging stuff like the man is is a savant uh when you open the hood of the car and realize there is absolutely zero engine uh that's when like all the marketing smarts in the world can't help you can't save you from prison as we've discovered so yeah i i I would say that that balances out to a five yeah i think so so i think off the top of my head if i can can do some math here we got a five a four an eight and a nine did i get that right yeah wait let me do math in my head stop Nine plus nine is eighteen. Plus, by the way, player three, is- Nick does this on his other show when he's trying to figure out betting lines, <laughs> betting lines and twice. what the what the spread is going to be based on the uh, the over under on points and and the spread. Like he I tries understand. to figure out what the score is. It's it's shocking. It it, it, came, it makes me like <laughs> it makes me excited because the school system gave him the intellectual curiosity to be willing to do live math on uh, like on the air, like recording a show, and he's doing it right now. Yeah. But um, <laughs> it also. It also inspires me that he is willing to be a lifelong learner when it comes to uh, doing addition. And I so that. nine plus nine is eighteen plus eight is twenty six. So twenty six out of forty gives him a C. He's a C. He's a hard C fraudster. Does that sound about right? That that do, that does sound about right. That that's where that's where my calculations check out. Great. So I thought that he would be a good one to start this series because there we'll get into some. There are some truly evil brilliant, dangerous people that are on this list. If you've watched some of the documentaries that we'll recommend, but Chris, I, I think this is a fun thing. I I've been having these conversations with my wife for months and be like, who is, who's smart and who's an idiot. And that, that guy's actually really scary, but like that one's just kind of lucky moron. And Elizabeth Holmes is way stupider than she is smart and like that kind of stuff. So this, is, I'm, is she I'm into this as much as you are, or is this like, are you like badgering her when she gets home from her job? Um, so when we're on the same page, she's very much into these kind of documentaries. I'm not badgering her with these. We love our, our fraudster documentaries. I love them more, but she's also very much into them. We like, because it's, it's a great, it's not a victimless crime, but it is this crazy stuff. It's these fraudsters are able to pull some shit off that you can't, but like this happened. I can't believe this happened. That's it's, it's amazing to think about. Yeah, it absolutely is. Before we get out of here, uh, Chris, you gave me a New Yorker daily calendar, and occasionally it hits so close to home that I just want to kill you. I just want to kill you. So this it's one... that keeps on giving. I'm going to read it, and I'm going to show it to the camera. So it's, it's a dinner party, and these guys are drinking a glass of wine, obviously. And uh, it says, quote, So what inspired you to study engineering, get married, find a job, move to the suburbs, have a couple of kids, and grow old? What inspired you to do that? <laughs> What inspiration? <laughs> what inspiration? What inspiration? What inspiration you must have? Also, um, and we'll, we'll talk about this on another episode. We apologize to any friendships that we may have ended with the Monty Hall problem in our most, pre- our most recent episode. If you have any math issues with that episode, please email us. The email is in the show notes, of course. Chris. Also in the show notes, a link to the GRHS National Tournament GoFundMe Expenses Please consider making a charitable donation. Help high school students who've worked hard all year succeed, represent themselves and their community at the national tournament. It's my favorite activity in the whole wide world. I love being able to volunteer coach these kids. Uh, They've done their part, uh, and we'd be so grateful if you would be willing to reach into your pocketbook, donate five bucks, and help these kids uh, have a good experience and and set themselves up for the future. If you ever ask yourself what's going on in this country, well, speech and debate is our, 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 actually, I truly believe this, our last hope. Speech and debate is going to get it done. With that, that's going to wrap up episode 29 of Game Theory. We'll be back. We're talking about traffic next time, Chris. Don't get stuck in traffic. Beep, beep.